we're in a really, really fun, intimate part of the Mark. Mark chapter 1, we pick it up in verse 29. Would you take a look at that with me? We'll read through the text from 29 to 34. And then we're going to have some fun with it. So here we go. Let's read. Mark 1, 29. Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. Immediately, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick, and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that everything you intend your word to do tonight will be done. That we would have this amazing time tonight in your word. We would grow and know you and experience you and understand you better and love you more. And even as David said, your word I have hidden in my heart that I would not sin against you. Oh, God, thank you for the things, Lord, that your word does. But we recognize your word is a means to an end. Jesus, you had said that to the religious leaders that they search the scriptures thinking by them they possess, possess eternal life. And yet there are those that testify of you. I get it, Lord. Your word is the vehicle, is a vehicle for us to understand you. But you are the end of our search. You are the thing we want here. So when we look at this, what we want to understand is who you are and your love for us and your call on our lives. And put us in this situation and help us to really understand it. Captivate us in your word. And may we have so much fun in this text, I pray. So Lord, do your work now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And say tonight, as I would any night, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume that a guy with a mic knows what he's talking about. For that matter, don't just assume I know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> the Lord does use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. However, just because someone's foolish does not mean that God's using them at that moment. Not at least the way we can assume. Jesus said to four fishermen, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And that's what they did. The fishermen knew how to fish, although I will grant you this. They seem to be terrible fishermen in this sense. We really don't read that they catch anything without Jesus' help. I mean, you know, they're, they're, we have all these different occasions where it seems like they've been fishing all night, whether that's, you know, the calling first in, in this situation, and we'll find in Luke, or in John 20, where, uh, you know, 21, where they're restoring Peter. It's like they fish all night and they catch nothing. It's like God has this great time recording those moments. And, and yet he tells them, but you know how to fish. You may not be that great at it, but you know how to fish. You throw the net as low as you can and you pull up everything. Well, that's what they do. And then he says, follow me. This is the call I'm putting on your life. The gifts I've already given you, you're going to apply to eternity now. Now, look at it. And I have to go right here. If God's given you a gift, he wants to impact eternity with it. It doesn't really matter what it is. If that gift is cerebral, in other words, your ability to think, or your ability in regards to the way that you make people feel comfortable when you talk with them, or you're funny, or you're creative, or you're just a really organized person, 
or you're super talented in some direction or athletic or whatever, whatever it is, God has given you that with the intent, ultimately, of you using it to impact eternity. Now, that doesn't mean you'll know that right from the get-go. Chances are you'll find out that there's something, and you know how this is. I always find, like, gym class, PE class, was always one of those places to discover what sports you were really terrible at and which ones you just may actually be good at. And you kind of throw your, you know, your hat in just about everything, and chances are the thing that you seem to do fairly well, it's the, you'll be like, that's my favorite sport. Chances are you won't be like, my favorite sport's the one I am the worst at. Well, and the reason I say that is, is you kind of, kind of take those particular talents and gifts God's given you, and you put them in some form of practice in the world, but sooner or later, somewhere, the Lord's like, all of that's just been for you to hone your craft, so that I can take that thing I gave you and allow you to stand before me one day and be able to go, I spent it on the field the right way. And there's the sweet part about it. And whether that's a guy that's amazing at swinging a hammer, which, by the way, we've watched, we build cities in Thailand as a result of that, or whether it's somebody, I mean, and the reason I say, whether it's somebody who bakes pies, which, by the way, never underestimate the power of a pie baker, especially in my, my opinion, but one of the things is it's amazing how that reaches out to a person who doesn't get out like they want to. And, you know, to be honest, I think I'm shut in and people started doing it. Anyways, all of that said, Jesus says, follow me. And he goes, well, where do they follow him? Interestingly enough, they kind of follow him home. But the first place we kind of find was that they went to church. Well, synagogue, as we see it, to fellowship. And it was there that they kind of, now I remind you, it's kind of like Jesus recruited. He says, hey, I'm going to be teaching the class because that's all a disciple is, is a student. I'm going to be teaching a class. I'd like you to join my class. Would you like to do that? Well, understand discipleship, and please don't get me wrong on this. Discipleship was not what we're doing right now. Discipleship was only part of what we're doing right now. Disciples followed their teacher around, and they lived with them, and they ate with them, and they and because so much of what we do in our walk with God is supposed to be modeled, not just taught. We might say it's caught versus just taught. And so a real discipler, or a rabbi, as we'd say, which just kind of means master, kind of like the guy that wears the black belt when you come into the, the, the dojo, that's the guy that does more than just go, I want to teach you intellectual skills. I want you to watch how I evangelize. I want you to watch me evangelize. I want you to watch how I pray with somebody and how we don't fire back when somebody does something crazy and how you know, and this just seems like part of my life is you kind of know you could level someone and you don't. It's just, you know, whether that was my sort of martial arts training or whether it's been just in situations where you just watch somebody and you're like, boy, if I went public with what I know about you, I'm sorry, Hugo, you just happen to be there. I'm not speaking to people. But you know, if I went public about what I knew about you, you would be devastated. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to show grace here. And it's amazing how many times that can bite you for the moment, but you stand innocent before God. And, and the reason I say that is, is that a discipler is somebody who actually, weirdly enough, and look, it isn't like, you know, it, well, let me just say this. He just invites you to live life with them. Because let's face it, when you first give your life to Jesus, one of the things you start asking is, well, now what the heck do I do? I mean, I know what to do before this, but how do I live Christian? Now, that doesn't mean a person is going to live a perfect life. But they're going to challenge you to say, well, what we're going to learn is it's a walk. And that was the cool thing. When Jesus said, hey, in essence, I'm teaching a class. You guys, I'd like you to follow me. They went, Okay. They were mending their nets, they were casting their nets, now they drop their nets for new nets, eternal nets, to follow Jesus. And they lead them to fellowship, and all the things that happens there, Jesus is like first class. You guys ready? Here's the first class, we're going to go to fellowship. And you're like, well, that should be easy. 
I mean, you know, Jesus is a religious teacher. We're going to go into a religious setting. This should just be Jesus in his element. Well, strangely enough, you probably didn't think we're going to go to an exorcism at church. But that's how it starts. And, and why in the world would Jesus start there in a book focusing on Jesus as the servant of servants? I get it. Because he's teaching other people how to be servants. And the first thing I start to realize is nobody is too far gone. There is just no one, because I would assume that a person who's possessed would be about as bad as it gets. I mean, for all the things a person dying of cancer, to me, makes more sense that a guy could get healed like that than a person who's obviously flirted with evil, engaged themselves in it, married themselves into it, and they got possessed in it. I mean, I assume when a person's possessed, it wasn't like they were walking down the street and just got banked upside the head one moment, and then they were possessed. I mean, I assume that they had some form of will involved, and that they were kind of inviting this. And the only reason I say that is, is when you kind of look at evil, evil, and then, well, okay, that's really evil, kind of go there for my kind of end of it, and this is where Jesus starts. And when I say it this way, well, that's going to be a terrible way to put it, but I can't think of a better way. If Tunday were in a situation where he was backed against the wall and three guys were going to go after him, Traditionally, one of the things they teach you in that situation is go for the big guy. Because if you can take down the big guy, the other guys have to think twice about the fact, well, he's bigger than I am, and he took him down. Do I really want to do this? And the reason I say that is Jesus kind of went straight after the big guy. So we kind of look, and now put yourself in the shoes of these four guys, who, by the way, I want to remind you, <coughs> if you have your Bible, Mark, Luke 5.10 because in Luke 5.10, that's where Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid, for now you'll catch men. But it also says there that it was Peter and, or Andrew, or Peter and Andrew, because Peter seems to be the older one, and also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. It doesn't say partners with Simon and Andrew. Now, in other words, these four guys seem to be in the same business of fishing, but they seem to be partners. They seem to be in one way or another involved in it. The reason I say that is, it wasn't like these guys are like, oh, you fish? I fish too. Huh, what a small lake. You know, <clears throat> truth be told, they already knew each other. They were already in business together. And I wonder how many times they've sat in Peter's house talking about the fish they didn't catch. Talking about what they're going to have to tell Peter's wife because he doesn't have fish to give him tonight. Or whatever the case is. I mean, the reason I say that is I just imagine that they've been in this house many times but this time it's going to be different. Now, Jesus has led us in and he showed us, and I go, wow, they're learning ministry. The first thing I recognize is, if a guy that's possessed is no match for Jesus, then I don't know of anything that's a match for him. And that's a really great place for lesson one. When we read Almighty, God was not joking. Now, with that, it tells us that as soon as they come out of the synagogue, at this point, Jesus is getting famous. They're all blown away by his authority in Scripture as well as his authority in the spiritual world. When it says, now as soon as, in other words, the next stop, the next stop is he's going home with you. And if I could title this, I would say, when you take God home. So it says, now as soon as they came out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew. What does that tell you? from the get-go. That's both of their house. Did you notice that? 
No, Simon and Andrew, I remind you, are brothers. So two brothers have a house. Is that kind of weird? In the Middle East, not yet. Now they enter it with James and John. Notice that. It says, but Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever. Whoa, stop. Okay, wait a minute. What that tells me is one of the brothers is married. That should be a no-brainer, right? Because you can't get an in-law without marrying somebody. That's sort of... I mean, people would say it's a necessary evil. I, we're recording besides. I have wonderful in-laws. I, to be honest, that was that was just... Not just sweeten the deal in a beautiful way, but wonderful, wonderful. But it tells us here. That means that there's Peter... Uh, Matthew will actually call it Peter's house. Peter will take his wife with him, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, when he actually goes out and does public ministry. So he's keeping it in this. But I find it interesting, the guy that that they call the first pope is is clearly married. And with that marriage, now I'm kind of going, oh, wait a minute. That's where it gets weird to me. You have two brothers living together, and one of them is married. And now you're probably aware of the fact, houses are, well, they're smaller than this room. So it isn't like, you know, everyone kind of sleeps in the same room. That's enough for me. You know, you know, somewhere down the line, Simon sits down with Andrew and goes, Bro, I found this beautiful apartment just east in Bethsaida. Anyways. Now the reason I say that is, why in the world would two brothers live together when one of them's married? Well, there's a couple of possibilities I'd like you to consider. One is that they're in that... Peter's in-law is a widow because mom-in-law also seems to be there at the moment. Two of the boys are orphaned. Traditionally, a father has an estate that he bequeaths to his sons. Each has their own portion of the property so they can build a house. For both brothers to build, uh, to live together, and clearly they're old enough and one's clearly married, tells me that, well, if they got property at all, it wasn't enough to build more than a single house on. So that's a possibility. Third, and this is also a fairly decent possibility, is their business was so bad because they were such terrible fishermen, they had to consolidate and downsize. That's possible too, because clearly they're not catching fish. Or four, mom is considered terminally ill. One way or the other, Peter got a wife that has a sick mom now. His wife got a brother, got a got a husband and a brother that came into this deal. And they seem to be living together. And we read in verse 30 that Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever. The term lay sick, I'm going to give you two terms. The first term is the term katakaito. Try that word, katakaito. Doesn't that sound like something you should find in manga? Katakaito, like he's like a... A warrior of such a... Katakaito, by the way, means to be laying prostrate. In other words, you are, you are, we might say, flat laid out. How would you say that? Give me a good English vernacular for that. Is there something like that where you know you are at that point where you're just flat on the ground and you ain't getting up? Is there a cool English term for that somewhere that I should learn? Dang it. <laughs> What's that? Just laid out? You might say, tore up from the floor up. Right. Well, that's our first word. The second word is the word pureso. Try the word pureso. <coughs> pureso. Oh, nice. Starting again. Pureso. I should have asked you, was there a cool French word for it? Dead. More. Anyway. Yeah, 
Pureso means to be on fire. Literally, what it says is Simon's wife's mother was laid flat on the floor on fire. Now, clearly, she wasn't literally on fire. That's why we translated she was sick with a fever. But she wasn't just like, you know, that, it's warm in here, it's warm in here. No, she was at that point where she's on, you know, where things, where you go and buy new pillows afterwards because they're just sweat and it's going to get through the pillow, that kind of thing. That's where she's at. And as it's the case, it's, you know, for what it's worth, it says they told him about her at once. Now, clearly mom didn't make it. Mom and law didn't make it to the, to the synagogue. <coughs> the four boys did. And the four boys go, Jesus, you need to come back with us. And so Jesus comes back with them. And as he does, and as he does come back, he goes, okay, the first thing we need to let you know, man, mom's sick. And mom's real sick. Now, what do you do at a moment like that? Well, this is what the disciples had learned is that Jesus obviously didn't seem to have any problem with a possessed guy. Could it really be a problem for him to handle a fever, was the idea. Now, I remind you, this is all day one of class. So they're like, notice they don't tell Jesus what to do. They just like, Jesus, we could see Peter going, um, my, my mom-in-law. is in the other room, and she's really, really bad. Well, there's really not much of an other room. She's a real mess. She's really sick. And we don't read that they have to tell Jesus any more than that. Verse 31 says, So he came and took her by the hand and he lifted her up. Three very important things. Prasekramai, the word for came, which means he approached her. The second is, Prateho, which literally means he used strength to take her hand. He reached out and took her hand. And then the third, he literally lifted her up. Egiro. It's the word that's used to wake someone up or to kind of spark them. Now I want you to realize, what part has this sick woman done in all of this? She's done nothing. She didn't even reach out her hand. Don't miss that. She couldn't get up, so Jesus went there. She may have been so sick, she couldn't even lift her hand, but Jesus did. And he took her hand. She couldn't get up, so Jesus lifted her up. And when he did, it says immediately that the fever left her. What part did the disciples play in it? What did they do? You tell me. I mean, it's, that shouldn't be a great question. What did they do? Not what? Yeah, they just, they just, they, all they did is tell Jesus. That's all they did. Can we do that? What would that be called if we do that? A prayer. They're kind of the same idea. Here's the danger when you actually tell them this is how it needs to happen. Thank Jesus, I just want you to know. My in law right now, she's, a, she's really hurting. She's really hurting. She is on fire, and she's laid out flat. So, I just thought I'd let you know. And she's like, all right, I'll be right back. But the major point of this isn't actually the fact that he did this, because for all of us, we're kind of not so you know, amazed by that. We kind of expect that kind of thing to happen. But I'd like you to recognize from the get-go on this, Jesus comes, Jesus reaches, and Jesus lifts. He does all the work. And might I say, dare say, he does all the heavy lifting here. I mean... He had to come, he did the reaching, and he did the lifting, and he will always be the case. If you're like, well, why am I not praying right, or if I should, but look, if you let Jesus know, and he already knows anyways, then trust that he knows when to do it and how to do it. When a situation, now look, there are some cases where God's going to let something happen, and obviously, 
there are going to be cases where the Lord's going to let someone come to be with him. To be honest, I don't think any of those people are complaining. We are. But the great part is, is as a disciple, in our first day of class, this is what we've learned. Nobody's too far gone. And if I could just tell, tell Jesus, I think he can handle it. And might I say, that's our first level of ministry. Our first level of ministry is just prayer. I just wanted Jesus. There's a, there's a situation. I just want to really know about it. Look at. I know you already know about it, but I just want the clear conscience to say that I've lifted this up. We use a fancier word, and that's intercession, and that means you're just praying for someone else. Jesus, they're not going to come, so would you go after them? And they're not going to reach, so you're going to have to reach out to them. And they won't get up and follow you, so you're going to need to pull them up. And this is the lesson we're learning. But yet, here's the best part, is look at verse 31 with me. So he came and he took her by the hand and he lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her. And what did she do? She served them. Okay, let me quite, let me ask you a genuine question. Who's the them? Who's the only logical them there? Andrew, John, James, and Jesus. That's a great answer. I agree with you. My natural response is four guys, well, five with Jesus, the four fishermen and Jesus. Those are the them that we have. That term's an antecedent. In other words, it's a pronoun, and we need to figure out who the, the noun's about. Well, the reason I say that is Greek says if there's a them, unless they introduce a whole new concept, the next them is going to be the same thing. Does that make sense? That's like, oh, those guys. Boy, I tell you, they're trouble. Let me tell you about them. we got to know who them is. That was the, those guys. That's simple. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to get heavy grammar. I'm just trying to go. The reason I say that is don't miss this. Why did, look at, what was the natural response from mom? She was served, so guess what she did? She served. She was served to serve. She gladly abandons her old illness. She doesn't go, hey, I just want you to know I'm an ex-fever person here. She leaves that behind, and the best way to leave that behind is to create new memories doing the opposite. She was laid out, and now she's all up. So get this, because this is one of the hardest lessons, and if you learn it early in your walk with Christ, you are so far beyond me, sincerely. Because you raised, I was kind of raised with one of those kind of, you have to look out for yourself, duh. You know, and <laughs> if it's going to happen, you need to make it happen. You kind of know how that plays out. And so guess what happens when, you know, when you get excess, what do you do with it? You tuck it away. Because after all, it's mine, and I'm going to need it later. It's kind of how it works out. And yet, everything I read in Scripture is that God gives me everything in abundance. And that he's endless with it, and he's rich in mercy and in grace. And I look at all that, and I'm thinking, wow. And then I start realizing that the reason God does something beyond is so that I can then turn and share it. Paul would say, that which I have first received, I give to you when he speaks about the gospel. And when he starts to talk about the challenges to Timothy, he talks about the fundamental importance it is. He goes, a fireman should be the first to partake of his own fruits. Why is that? Because if he doesn't, how in the world is he going to be able to tell you how good it is? But when he does, he gets a harvest. He can't eat the whole harvest. The whole goal is, is that he gets enough to be fed and his family fed. Then he goes and he actually uses the rest to feed a whole lot of other people. And there's the crazy part. Imagine what it would be like when you realize God gave you comfort in abundance, peace in abundance, 
love in abundance, joy in abundance, hope in abundance, so that you could do something crazy and actually share it because the rest of the world doesn't think that way. And that's what she does. She was served in abundance. He could have just made her, let's face it, he could have just made her, like, not hurt. Now, you ever had one of those kind of fevers where, like, your whole body is, like, on fire and it's just, like, everything aches? And you know what happens, right? You know why your body gets that hot? It's a natural way of fighting an infection. You get the idea, 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, an infection is kind of like the fast track to death. It's kind of going, "Uh uh-oh, at this point, you're going to die unless something happens. And when she is laid out at this point, it just makes sense that's where she's headed. But Jesus doesn't just comfort her and put her at peace and go, all right, look it, I'm I'm not going to totally heal you, I'm just going to let you get a good night's sleep. He, he actually abundantly takes care of it to the point where the gal not only is now healed from the fever, but she has energy. And she gets up and she starts serving. She's like, man, he gave it to me in abundance, so I'm going to turn around and hand it out. Let me say that again. He gave it to me in abundance, so I'm going to turn around and hand it out. And that's the point in this. So here's the key. She needs to be well. Imagine Jesus coming in and going, Mom, you're going to need to be well. And I'll tell you why, because company's coming. And you're going to need to be well for this. So he raises her up. And it says in verse 32, At evening. Now I remind you, Jesus has already been at the synagogue. He's already created quite a stir there. And now at evening, the sun is setting. They brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. I have a a simple question. Verse 32, who is the they? It's the four fishermen. Don't miss that. Here's our class. This is our first day of class. And it didn't end, by the way, at 3 p.m. or at 5 p.m., did it? Sun is now setting. And get this. This is what it was. Jesus said, hey, you guys, you know how to cast nets. I'm going to show you how to do that eternally. You guys want to come follow me? I'm actually recruiting students. I want you guys to follow me. And you're like, okay, I'll do that. Where are we going? Well, we're heading to your hometown, Peter. But first, on our way in, let's go and let's stop at church. So we stop there, and he goes, oh, by the way, let's go and cast out a demon. So he casts out a demon in front of us, and we go, whoa, nobody's too far gone. He goes, good, well, then let's go to your house. Oh, okay. Now, which one of us would be like, you know, I don't have a problem, Jesus, with you <clears throat> kind of doing stuff, you know, at church, but now that we go home, that's going to be different. I mean, what things are going to have to change at home if I take you home? Chances are there's a sick thing that needs to be raised up. And so Jesus, they're like, oh, well... Yeah, there's my mother-in-law, and she's sick. All right, well, I'll be right back. So he goes and raises up, and all of a sudden, Mom's like, okay, does anyone want a sandwich? You know, that kind of idea. Because it looks like you guys are going to need your energy. And they're like, okay, well, this is what I conclude. First of all, no one's too far gone, but now I realize my first thing is in prayer, if I could just, well, if Jesus gets to them, they're going to be fine. Now, if she really is that laid out with a fever... And Luke, the doctor, actually tells us she was totally overcome with this. Can imagine, we look and we kind of go, well, if no demon's a match for him, and no sickness is a match for him, and all I need to do is, if Jesus could get there to the person, I remember this is first day of class, if Jesus could get there, they're going to be fine. And all of a sudden we kind of stare at each other, four fishermen. Okay, Jesus got to mom. She's fine. You think of what I'm thinking? Let's go get him. 
I dare you. Let's go find the sickest person we can. Let's go find the craziest person we can. Let's go find the most out of control person. I mean, I'm just that kind of guy. I'm like, let's just take this to the extreme. Talk about a cool extreme sport in, in Christianity. It's like, let's go find them. And it says, they brought to them all who were sick. And here we were. What do we know? We know how to grab a net and throw them in on our first day of class. We've learned how to throw the nets. Because we've concluded two simple things. Number one, nothing. no one is too far gone for them. And two, if I can get them to Jesus, Jesus can fix them. So imagine that simple faith. Tuesday walks up to a person and he goes, Hey, you look kind of sick. <laughs> you know, I, you're probably not laughing. I'm laughing at the thought of how funny this would be. And you know, the person's like, Well, let me tell you all my sicknesses. And you're like, Bro, I don't need to know. Bro, just hush it. If I brought you to Jesus, he could fix you. But you don't know what my problems are. You're right. But I know who can fix them. I bet it wasn't as bad as my mom. And he healed her. I mean, heal her. You don't look half as bad as my mom was. You can see him going, what was wrong with your mom? Well, don't worry about that. It's not the point. Come. If you want to come, he can take care of you. Isn't that crazy? Look at it. It started, remember, my first act was praying. Remember, my first act was just letting Jesus know. And as I let Jesus know, he started, we watched him move. Now, understand, Jesus was going to move it either way. The only difference is it opened my eyes to watch it. And now that I watched it, I'm like, well, man, I just need to know. Step two, step one is just prayer. Does that make sense? That's step, that's level one. That's, that is the full apprentice of ministry. Level one, we are going to get on our knees and just pray. And I just, I just want you to know, I'm going to, and it's, we're going to intercede. This guy's kind of a mess. Well, let's just be honest, he's a real mess. Let's just pray for him. All right, Lord, I'm just letting you know, and I'm available. All right, this guy, he's struggling in this area. This guy's weak in this thing. This gal, she's, man, you, you know, and it's like, and we go over and over and over. And now you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to let him know. That's level one. And we go then from the apprentice to the intermediate. What's the intermediate? I'm going to get him to Jesus. Do you see the difference? In the first one, I was just kind of disconnected enough to pray. But now in the second one, I'm like, do you want to come? Like, I know where Jesus is going to be manifest. And if you know where he's going to be manifest, let's just get him there. We don't have to do anything fancy. There was no shaking a chicken or covering someone in oil or looking for feathers. Now, with all due respect, all it was was a simple faith that said, if I can get you to Jesus, he can fix you. How cool is that for ministry? You know what the funny thing is? The most effective ministry in the world gets overcome by people who think they're too smart for it. Can I just be honest? Now it's like, well, we need this special ministry and this deliverance ministry for this particular problem. And we need to actually give this particular sin a demon's name so that we could actually kind of call on him. Because if somehow it's like, well, now that we have the name, we're going to call him Melvin. And if as long as we call him Melvin, it's like, oh, you have that sin. Okay, let me look through my book and find what demon to call out. You know, not, these guys didn't do that. All they did was like, look, it, I don't know, it's, like, like, it's not that I don't care, but I don't care what your problem is. Because I know what the problem solver is, and nothing's too bad for him. Do you get that? That's level two. Like, at first level, let me say again, level one, just telling Jesus. <laughs> Prayer. Level two, bringing him to Jesus. Does that make sense? Now, level three, we'll get that when we get to the book of Acts, is bringing Jesus to them. That's what they're going to wind up doing in the book of Acts. Because he lives inside of us, and we bring him. But look at nobody starts at level three. But the thing is, if we think, well, that's where we're supposed to be, we never enter into the pool at level one. Does that make any sense at all? 
So look, if you've never been involved in any of that ministry, let me start you with this. My challenge is level one. Get on your knees and start praying for people. God, I just want to let you know, this. and sometimes it's like, this guy's just driving me nuts. Or this neighbor's crazy, or that dog keeps pooping in my yard, or whatever. It's like, but stuck me. I was like, okay, you're praying for a dog, but ultimately you're praying for the owner, you know. And like somewhere in all of that, it's like, let's face it, because what you'd rather is that the owners get saved, and then they start taking care of their dog versus their dog dies, because then you're like, oh, did I just pray that, right? And the reason I say this, that's our level one. I'm just going to start praying. And let me ask you, are you just doing that? Because the cool thing is, like maths, it culminates. In other words, you don't stop doing level one for level two. The same way that if you're actually going to become an expert woodsmith, well, the things you learned back when you were just kind of shaping wood, you don't stop using those things. You actually build on them. So I start by just praying for people. Man, what if we did that? Then level two, all right, now I'm actually going to say, well, this is a place I know the Lord is. I know that he's manifest here. And I just, it's like we become inviters. That's it. And that's what these guys are doing then there gets that point where you're like, man, this is, you know what? I don't even want to wait. You're sitting in someone's room and they're like, this is the situation. Like, look, I'm just going to, I just want to lead you to Jesus right here, right now. I'm bringing him to you. But man, we start the right, we start so simple. Can, we, can you do that with me? What if we made that commitment this week? That each day, we're going to just find five people to start with. Now, look, at you can extra credit do as many as you want. Well, let's just try it. I'm just giving a number to kind of help us. Five people a day just to pray for. Today, we're going to go, when we go home tonight, God, give me five people that I just want to lift up by name, specifically by name, or by some specific thing. That particular person that works at that place with a crazy hat, or that one with that way weird haircut, or whatever it is, was like, God, these people, I want to pray for them today. And then tomorrow, as I walk through the day, Lord, show me five people at least that I should just be praying for by name. That's a great place to start, isn't it? Can we agree on that? What do you think? Is that fair? Then, as the Lord starts stirring our hearts, the next thing is invite them to something, someplace where you know the Lord's going to meet them. That's the idea. So it says, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. Can you imagine? Now, how in the world, it isn't like you have like a demon-possessed meter or there's like an app on your iPhone, you know? It's like, you know, what's it like? I exorcist or whatever, you know? I exercise. It's like, bloop, 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 you're doing it. But it's like, but it, you know, let's face it. In other words, the crazier the person, the more it's like, oh, that guy's probably possessed. Awesome, let's get him to Jesus. Now, there, there's a guy, remember, four, of the four, one's Peter. Like, I get the idea that Peter's the one that's going to be like, awesome, let's go that guy. But could you imagine if we were like that? Now, I'm not asking Marcia to go find the biggest, scariest guy and then go just kind of get in his grill. But, you know, it's like these fishermen, they knew how to hold on to a chain, they knew how to hold on to a rope, and they weren't exactly intimidated by smells. Those are really good prerequisites, by the way, for the people they're going to be dealing with. Hey, let's go get, you know, and imagine it's like, we would walk out there and be like, oh, awesome. You're kind of really funky and weird, or oh, awesome, you seem like you've really got issues. Man, how cool, I mean, imagine, because usually, unfortunately, the rest of the world goes, oh, you've got issues, well that I'm going to get as far away from you as possible. And we'd be the ones that go, oh, man, how cool is that? You're really messed up. Awesome. <laughs> well, then let's just go get you to Jesus. I mean, imagine if that was our attitude, you know? And that was where these guys seemed to be. And by the way, they didn't seem to get tired early. Here's the thing. When do fishermen start their shift? It 
sunset. Remember how the fish have to get intimidated by the light so they'll come up once it gets dark? So guess what happened? The sun went down and they went, well, I guess it's time to work. And they went and they worked. They went to, to work. What did they do? They brought to them all who were sick and demon-possessed. Okay, I have to make a quick mention, and we're almost done here. In Matthew 4, right before Jesus teaches that Sermon on the Mount, you know that really cool Matthew 5-7 through text? It tells us that his fame going throughout Syria, and they, again, we're talking about the same thing here, brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments. That's really important to me, because the word diseases, by the way, for what it's worth, vasos, vasos, by the way, meaning sickness, malady, in other words, anything physically sick, and torments, and the word there is the word basanos, and basanos, or basanos, really, should mean torture or torment. In other words, in the first case, it was a physical situation, in the second case, it was an emotional one. Let's kind of find it interesting that it was like, they weren't intimidated because someone was weird. It just seemed to me that it got them excited. Some of you know, for seven years now or so, I've been actually visiting a group of guys. It actually tends to be a rotating door of them. Uh, <clears throat> some leave a lot earlier than I would like them to. <clears throat> and it's always been the same thing. I don't, you know, I know that God delivers because I've been delivered myself. I've watched how God's done that. That doesn't have to be the same route, but I'm sure it's the same destination. But I am sure of this. No one's problems are a match for the power of my God. I'm just sure of that. And I've never had to change my tune on it. I mean, it's like walking through Camden. It's kind of fun for me. I'm like, wow. There's no shortage of people that you're like, wow, you're totally weird. Awesome. You need Jesus. What's funny is, is that the moment you start sharing Jesus, you're the weirdest person in Camden. Actually, I think I should get a shirt that says I do shirt weirdest person in Camden. Why? Ask me why. Why? Because I love Jesus. And then it's like the same people that are freaking everyone else out, like, scream. It's kind of fun. Now get this. Remember, Mom, you're going to need to get up. You're going to need to be well. Why? Company's coming. Who? Look at verse 33. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Oh, that's just fun. But let's face it, when you really do realize that Jesus is alive and that he does transform... Why wouldn't you bring them? The fishermen seem to be so much more successful at casting their nets of men to men than they ever were casting their fish. It's like this was their first day of class and a whole city shows up. And you're like, dude, we should have been doing this for a long time. Now, if only we could keep, somehow this can pay our bills. She's like, don't worry, we'll take care of that. But it's like, it's just such a beautiful thing to think you're like you're trying and you're trying and you're trying and you're like and then the Lord's like just how about this and you're like okay I'll, I'll give it a try but they were convinced Jesus could fix them are you convinced Jesus could fix them Galatians 5.13 says this you brethren have been called to liberty to freedom but don't use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another. Because look at, you know why you were set free? You were set free to serve. Because I'm going to give you abundance and I'm telling you to share. Because caring is sharing. In 2 Kings chapter 7, three lepers are at the gate starving to death because they've been the city of Jerusalem is besieged. And God says, don't worry, tomorrow things are going to be so opposite of this. In a simple vernacular of that, right now, people are actually paying for Dove's Dung. Not Dove bars, not Dove ice cream, 
dove poop. And they're like, they're paying top dollar for it because, to be honest, there's nothing left to eat. And they're eating children at this point. And at that point, the prophet says, look it, by tomorrow, it's like you won't be able to buy, I mean, it's like you're going to be pulling up pocket change for bushels of wheat. And they look and go, you're an idiot. Like, that could possibly happen. And it does. God, God scares away the entire Syrian army. And then three lepers are kind of standing there, and there are, they have leprosy. Let's just be honest. Unless God does something, they're going to die anyways. And they're standing at the city gate, and they're like, okay, this is the rough part. If we go into the city, we're going to die. And we're starving anyway. So we're like, we're lepers, and we're starving lepers. This just gets worse by the moment. Then we go into the city, we'll be more starving lepers. If we go into this, the enemy's camp for the moment, maybe we'll be like, Maybe they'll look and go, wow, you're lepers. I feel really bad for you. Eat a little bit. And then we won't be like, well, okay, we'll still be lepers, but we're not starving lepers. And so they're like, well, let's give it a shot. So the three of them walk into the camp, and it's like, this is strangely quiet. And they kind of look, and as they look, it's like all of the armor and everything is like scattered on the roadside, running away from you know, Jerusalem. And they kind of look at each other, and they're like, yeah, it's really weird. And so they kind of go into one place, and it's like the food's still warm, and the coffee's, like the steam's still coming out. And they kind of go, and they're like, whoa, man, this is awesome. And one guy's like tucking a Babylonian, I'm, forgive me, I'm having fun with it. He's like tucking a Babylonian you know, like coat in his, you know, in his mumu. He's like, what's he going to do with that? Where'd you get that? Oh, I don't know. You know, and he's like, and, he, and sooner or later, they've like, they've been at a Brazilian barbecue. They're kind of laying there, kind of like the place we were at last night. And you're just like, you know, you're like, it's like be the beauty of beef grease coming out of your navel. You know, you're like, oh, this is so awesome. And you're like kind of looking at each other and they're kind of laying there. And I'm right here, they're still lepers. So they kind of look and like one of them kind of goes, uh. And you know, the other one looks. And he's like, you know, we're like feasting here. And our entire city's starving to death. You know, do you kind of have a moral dilemma with this? Because I mean, now that I've eaten, and now that I've eaten so much that I feel like I'm going to barf, I think maybe we should tell someone. What do you think? They're like, yeah, yeah, I think that would be a really good idea. Remember that guy that actually criticized the prophet? He says, you're, basically, you're an idiot. And he says, well, I just want you to know, you'll see it, but you won't taste it. Ha, ha, ha. Well, that's the gatekeeper. So guess what happens? The, the lepers go in uh, to the city, and they're like, hey, you guys, all of the Syrians fled. I know that sounds really weird. I know that doesn't make any sense, but it happened. And they left, like, all of their roasts. <laughs> and they've just, it's like Yorkshire pudding everywhere. It's, like, unbelievably cool. And, you know, you, you don't have to go, but I'm going back. Because I found out where the food is. And at first they were cautious, and then once they realized it was the real deal, there was, as you might guess, a stampede out the gate. People were hightailing, because it wasn't just food now. I mean, it was flat-screen TVs, and it was iPhone 10s, and it was, well, you know, get the idea. It was like all of the things of the day, and the Syrians were advanced in all of their, metal, their metallurgy, and I mean, their weapons were, were far beyond a lot of what Israel was used to. And the reason I say that is that when that happened, that gatekeeper, guess what happened to him? was totally a Who concert incident. That guy basically gets trampled to death. He saw it all happen, but just as the prophet said, he never really got down there. Here's the whole point of it, beloved. Hear me on this. That when God blesses you, and we know what it's like to be beggars, don't we? I mean, we are raised with the idea that we want to be loved. And then you get so loved, now you just want to love. It's a very different feeling. Because now it's like, I just want to love people. And you realize, man, 
I am so living in this place of beautiful spiritual abundance, and I have this love and joy and this peace and this patience. I'm just going to fit with just all this I'm watching all these things happen. I really just can't sit here in this tent and do this by myself. I gotta let people know because it's just not right. Because right now, people are starving to death out there, and they're eating horrible things spiritually to try to satiate them and it's not working. In 2 Corinthians 1 it just talks about God of all comfort. He says, who comforts us in any trial that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trial themselves. And the idea is simple. God gave you so much comfort so that you can actually, you're like, I don't actually have to have been comforted in your problem to know where comfort comes from. And that's the point. So the whole city is gathered together at the door. How did the whole city get gathered together at the door? Who brought, how many people brought the whole city to the door? At most, four. I mean, assuming unless mom's helping too. And the wife, who we actually never get to meet face to face in. Four guys went and said, hey, I actually know where healing comes. And I watched them do it. I know where transformation comes because I watched them do it. I watched deliverance. I mean, I watched people who are an unbelievably hellish mess, and I'm not even speaking hyperbole. And I watched them totally nail them and just deliver them to a place of sanity and peace and clothe them in the right mind. So you're no threat to me. You don't have to come, but you'd be an idiot not to. Because my God wants to take care of you and he wants to overcome you with the things that you so desperately want that you may not even know. Well, the whole city shows up at the door in verse 34 and we end it with this. So he healed many who were sick with various diseases. Various diseases. The whole point is the many isn't like he healed some but not others. Because Luke chapter 4, verse 40, when he tells this story, he also says he touched every one of them. There was not a person who showed up at the door that Jesus didn't reach out to. There was, it didn't matter what the problem was. It wasn't like, well, I'm sorry, we don't deal with that problem. Venerial disease, sorry, we don't touch people like that. I'm sorry, you know, you earned that. Or whatever it is. AIDS, I'm sorry. You know, it's like, it's like it didn't really matter what it was if you got them to Jesus. No, I'm not telling you today that if you brought everyone here to this Bible study, they're going to be in, just like, you know, the cancer will be gone and whatever it is is going to be gone. But to be honest, if they were totally delivered from that cancer or whatever, but then they walked into hell, it would not be a victory for God. <clears throat> the one thing they really need first and foremost is what their soul craves, because it's the one part that doesn't die. And that's the one thing you need to encounter first and foremost. Now, he may do that by healing those physical issues. He may do it by giving them strength through it. I can't tell you how he's going to do it, but I can tell you this. He's going to want to actually give them He's going to want to put to rest the thing that is completely at disrest right now, and that is their soul. So, it didn't matter what sickness. The whole idea of the many was there was a vast sea of people that showed up at one door. Now, if they were British, I would say they queued nicely. I don't get that. I kind of get the idea they were kind of more of other places where... There's no such thing as a queue. It's kind of like it's the bottleneck and everyone's going in like like fruit flies. But it doesn't matter. Somewhere down the line in it all, maybe the four fishermen are like, hey, 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 wait your turn. You're going to be fine. Jesus, you're still all right? And he's like, look at 
I'm not stopping until we're done. How many? How long does it take to actually touch every person and be, watch them transform in a city? I really don't know. Uh, it, it probably you could get a lawsuit if you tried it here, but I could get the idea here that it really didn't matter. There was a vast amount of people, and Jesus never ran out of energy for them. And it really didn't matter what the disease was. It says various diseases, and the idea is go through the catalog. You didn't have to know what it was. The disciples, I mean, let's face it, the disciples weren't doctors. It wasn't that they kind of looked and went, oh, okay, I want you to go in this line. Contagious diseases over here, and what's, oh, okay, can't tell anyone. All right, well, then you're going to be over here. It's like, he's just like, look at you're sick? Cool. <coughs> you're messed up? Awesome. You're a mess? Beautiful. You're a basket case? Awesome. And by the way, I've watched that. I've had the privilege of that for the years to watch somebody go, you know, I want you to know I'm just unsavable. <laughs> like, well, not as far as God's concerned. Look at the life ring will come out. Now, if you don't want to grab it, you can drown, but don't be blaming God. He's certainly not intimidated by your problems. And he heals it, no matter what it was. He cast out many demons. The idea of that was, man, you should have seen how many demons one night. Remember, that morning, we were at synagogue, and we were like, whoa, check it out, check out what he did. He cast out a demon, and it's like, all right, and, it's, and you can see Jesus going, next. You know, and it was crazy because at that point they're like, well, I think I know somebody weird enough to be possessed. Let's just go get him. And it's like, all right, well, and it's like every one of them is in the difference. How do I know when someone's possessed? Because that was the one person Jesus said, shut up to. That's what it says here. They're like, I know, just get out. Next one, just get out. That's a whole jet of waste. You're done. You know, that's the idea. It's like, look at because he's like, I, it was like, because at that point, what they knew, what the demons knew that the people did it was less important at that moment, believe it or not. Because Jesus is like, I want you to encounter me first so that when I do tell you everything else, you're going to get it and go, man, you're absolutely more than just the Son of God and God the Son. You are good and you love me and you want me. And you're that? How awesome is that? And that's the whole point of the cross. It's like, that's what you go look at. For all the things you want to argue over, this is God the Son who died on the cross for the greatest need of your soul, the guilt that you yourself have earned, just like me, that I've earned. When he died at the cross, it was paid in full. When he rose, it was gone, and you have the choice. But you want to go to hell, God's not going to... God, God, I can, I can, I'm not going to tell you God's not going to stop you, but he's going to make it difficult for you to get there. And you can see Jesus going, you want to go to hell over my dead body. And I'm going to get up right in the middle of it, so you're going to really have to get over it. And the idea is, is like, look, at Jesus did something that nobody else had done, so you realize you're dealing with somebody different than everyone else. And I just want you to recognize, when God, when you take God home, your house becomes a hospital. When you take God home, you first get ministered to, and then it becomes a ministry house. And there's the beauty in it. But look at you could go, well, I just want to kind of keep him at church. Well, he's not going to do that. But man, when you invite him home, a whole city gets transformed. And I would love to see that. I've invited him home with me, and he's the, he's the Lord of our house. But I want you to know, first of all, I wanted him to make himself at home in my heart. Then it was like, now let's go home. And as we pray, that's my prayer for us tonight, is that God would start us in the school of ministry. And what does it start with? What's the first level? Do you remember what our first level of ministry is? Just pray, yeah. <clears throat> We're just praying for people. Second level, I want to get you where I know Jesus is going to be in a way that I know you can get him. And then third, I'm going to bring him to you. Now, don't freak out on two and three. 
be about one, and God knows when to graduate you. Isn't that cool? All right. Will you pray with me? God, I want to thank you so much for this beautiful text. I want to thank you for what you've done in it. I want to thank you for the way you've spoken to us. I want to thank you for how beautiful your word is. And I thank you that I just felt like I got to walk with you for a moment here in this. And to just watch how how delighted you were to see these guys just bring people to you that probably for some were well known in the community as crazy people, as dangerous people, as whatever. And now, I ask you to forgive us for how we complicate what you make simple. Where somehow ministry becomes so many other things that are so political and convoluted and confusing. And really, in the end of it all, it's like we're on our knees praying for people and we're bringing them to places to, to where you are and we're bringing you to them. I mean, it's, it just seems so simple. And it just seems like we're, we, we're more experts in problems than we are in the problem solver. But I just pray tonight, God, that you would release us from confusion, that you would release us from complications that you've never intended, and that tonight you would just invigorate us with a desire to step into that first day of school with you. School of ministry where it's like, you know what, I'm going to just start with praying. And I'm just going to say, Jesus, you know in my heart this girl needs you. And you know in my heart this girl needs sanity. And you know in my heart this girl needs peace. And you know in my heart this guy needs inspiration. And you know my heart that this guy, he needs strength and clarity and you know in my heart, and, and, and you know who those people are, and, and you know later I'll be laying them out with names God, I just want to start there, and I know that when I'm praying, I'm volunteering myself to be part of that solution but Lord, it starts with just saying Jesus, I just want to let you know, you seek people to stand in the gap, you saw a person and you couldn't find anyone that was willing to stand between a sinful man and a God that has a, uh, has a right to judge them, and we are volunteering to stand in the gap tonight. So would you please do that tonight here in this room? We have made that choice. We said yes to you, Jesus, for your gift at the cross, your resurrection. And I thank you, thank you that that choice is there. <coughs> now, ignite us to do more, Lord, than just know about you or to know you a bit, but to follow you now. And as we follow you, Lord... May we have the joy of watching your pleasure, your pleasure, as we seek to serve you now. Jesus, in your name, amen.